John's Gospel, chapter 18, and I'm going to read from verse 28 through to John 19 and verse 16. If you want to follow in the Church Bibles, you'll find that on page 1090. John 18, starting at verse 28. Then the religious leaders led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, 
We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Thank you, Carrie. Surprised by Jesus. Surprised by Jesus. It's the name of a new book recently released, but it would also be a good summary of what each one of us, whether Christian or not, needs to be surprised by Jesus. Our view of him grows dim. Our love grows cold. And so we need to fix our eyes on him to be surprised once again by who he is and what he's done for us. Because when we look to Jesus in his word, we discover he's always better than we remember. So for a few moments now, I want us to pause and consider again the reality that Jesus is God's true king and he is his saving king. I wonder if you noticed in that reading we've just had from John 18 and 19, all the choreography at the beginning of our reading, the Jews lead Jesus to Pilate's headquarters, but won't go in, so Pilate comes out. And then verse 33, Pilate goes inside to speak with Jesus. Verse 38, he's outside again. Uh, 19, verse 1, he goes in to have Jesus flogged. Verse 4, he's out again. Verse 9, Pilate enters. Verses 12 and 13, he's once again back outside pleading with the Jews. And all this toing and froing of Pilate gives us the structure of what's going on. Very carefully, John has arranged his account. So we see the guilt and hypocrisy of the Jews in the outer sections, uh, the kingship of Jesus and his innocence. And then right at the center, we have the coronation of Jesus as his innocence is contrasted with our guilt as he goes to the cross as our substitute. John highlights two big themes of Jesus' kingship. He is the true king. He is the saving king. So firstly, he is the true king, the king we don't expect. And John shows us the clash, or rather the contrast, between Pilate's weakness 
and Jesus' complete authority. It's helpful to remember Pilate, he's not some mild-mannered bureaucrat. He represents the imperial might of Rome. He's got headquarters, a judgment seat. He bosses soldiers around. He can take Jesus and have him flogged just as a show of force. But very quickly, Pilate gets all hot and bothered. It should astonish us that Pilate gets flustered. Maybe we noticed how Pilate keeps trying to get Jesus off the hook, but failing. Desperate to save his own skin, fully aware Jesus is innocent and no threat to Caesar. But ultimately handing over a man he knows to be innocent, to be brutally killed. And yet what a contrast to Jesus. Jesus answered, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Pilate has no idea. Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 39, do you want me to release you the king of the Jews? It's not Pilate making some great profession, merely trying to annoy the Jewish leaders by referring to Jesus as a king. But Jesus is absolutely clear. He is the king establishing his kingdom. Jesus is God's appointed king over all creation who has an ultimate claim over everyone who's ever lived. He's the one in control over all things, but not the king we would expect. So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. With war in Europe, it raises very acutely the issue of what we look for in a leader. And Jesus is not some all guns blazing kind of king. Neither is he the silent brooding type. He is much, much better than that. His kingdom isn't about political structures or military might. Twice he rams home the point. His kingdom is not of this world. He comes to bear witness about the truth. What is truth? Pilate asks. The answer is Jesus. If only Pilate, if only we would listen to him. He is God's true king who reveals God's truth, shows us what we're really like. His is a reign of truth. He rules through truth, through his word. How we respond to his word is a decision about whether to submit to him as king or not. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I wonder if we've realized this beaten and bruised mocked and reviled man is actually in the process of establishing his kingdom just look at the beginning of chapter 19 again Pilate took Jesus and flogged him the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe they came up to him saying hail king of the Jews and struck him with their hands it is barbaric isn't it And they are verses rich with irony. They leave us in no doubt as to the true royal identity of Jesus. This is his enthronement, his coronation. A crown placed on his head, dressed in a robe. A sick joke by the soldiers. But John wants us to see what's really going on. Through these taunts, we see Jesus really is the king 
God's true king. Pilate loves to refer to to Jesus as the, the king of the Jews. Jesus is the true king, the crowning moment as he deliberately, innocently goes to his death. And yet it is through his death people can be rescued, freed, given life and brought into his kingdom. That's the sort of king Jesus is. This is real strength. The true king laying down his life that we might enter his kingdom. Verse 10 is power on earth. Do you not know I have authority to release you, authority to crucify you? Verse 11 is true authority. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Pilate seeks to cling to his authority. Jesus tells him he only has authority because God gave it to him. Jesus is the true king, the greatest of kings. He rules his kingdom, rules his subjects with a gracious word, a word by which we're to live. Jesus is the true king and so every one of us must submit to him. We're going to pause for a few moments now as we consider what it means to have Jesus as God's king, the true king, as we pause in quiet reflection for a moment. Sitting on the fence is a decision. Pilate just shows us it's not a good one. We've seen Jesus is the true king, even if he's not the king we expect. And he's also the saving king. There's the second big theme John highlights for us. Jesus is the saving king, the king we so desperately need. Again, John is masterful in how he writes both exposing the ugliness and hypocrisy of sin and almost jarringly having Jesus' complete innocence grating next to it I wonder how you feel about the Jewish leaders so angry aren't they and yet so impotent Uh, they know they have no right to execute anyone verse 31 they want Pilate to do their dirty work Verse 28, even as they plot Jesus' murder, they're they're keeping up appearances of their own religious purity. They want to avoid being defiled. They are guilty hypocrites. And so they reveal their true intentions in verse 7 when they declare, we have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. And you wonder how someone who actually is the son of God is meant to reply, They want nothing more than to kill the Son of God, deliberately choosing to set free a guilty man rather than let Jesus escape their grasp. They'd rather have Caesar as their king than Jesus, God's true king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. How hypocritical, how fickle, how guilty. 
But then look at Jesus. Three times Pilate declares him innocent. He went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. In any other court in the world, Jesus' innocence would be a slam dunk argument. In fact, for Pilate, it was. So convinced is Pilate of Jesus' innocence, he tries to set him free. It is a horribly failed attempt. But John wants us to be in no doubt Jesus is innocent. His innocence contrasted with the guilt of the Jewish leaders. In fact, after each of the three declarations of Jesus' innocence, we get the Jews baying for his blood despite his innocence. Not this man, but Barabbas. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die. Three times they disregard Pilate's findings. Three times they still want to kill Jesus anyway. They refuse to acknowledge who is standing right in front of them. And the reason all of this is so significant is we see what kind of king Jesus is. He is the saving king. All of this is happening at a time called Passover when God's people remembered their rescue from Egypt. A perfect lamb killed in the place of the firstborn son. And the Passover is highlighted for us in the passage and it is all about substitution Jesus the true king the saving king rescuing a people by dying in their place he has to be a perfect innocent substitute Jesus took God's anger at our rebellion against him when he died on the cross Pilate offers to release to them one man a Barabbas a robber innocent Perfectly innocent Jesus. As guilty Barabbas walks free. So Jesus, innocent, guiltless, walks to the cross. It's all about substitution. Doesn't this passage as well expose our guilt? Conscious perhaps of the way we've treated Jesus. None of us having lived for God as we know we should have. And yet we can be rescued from God's rightful anger at our rebellion. That is why it is good, Friday. It's why the gospel is such good news. Jesus, perfect, innocent, dying in the place of guilty sinners like us. You see, who's actually on trial? It's not Jesus, is it? He is the judge judging the judges. Pilate, the Jewish leaders in the dock. All guilty, exposed. And yet Jesus is the saving king. So trust him. Just a a chapter later, John will say, all these things are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. It requires belief. It demands a response. It will mean believing Jesus is who he claims to be. Jesus is God's king, innocently going to the cross in our place. It means recognizing our own guilt. 
but then receiving all the benefits of Jesus' death in our place. Forgiveness, life, freedom. I wonder what is our view of Jesus as he heads to his death? Tragic figure, an innocent idealist whose mission ultimately fails in a cruel world. Or can we be confident he is God's true king? Establishing his kingdom as the saving king. Actually, John, even in our passage, tells us how to respond and once again uses irony. He, he uses Pilate trying to annoy the Jews. And so twice Pilate tells him to look at Jesus. He has Jesus beaten and then verse 5 says, Behold the man. Look at your weak, pathetic king. No threat at all. That's what Pilate means. Verse 14, behold your king. Pilate taunts them by claiming this blooded, battered man before them is their ruler. The Jews want none of it. Pilate's missed what's literally standing in front of him. But John, John wants us to look to Jesus. Behold the man. Here is the man. Here is our king. Will we look to him? Will we look to him in his death? Will we look to Jesus dying in my place? Taking God's anger at my sin, being our only hope of salvation. Jesus is the saving king, the king we so desperately, desperately need. Again, we're going to have a brief pause now to contemplate what it means for Jesus to be our saving king.